Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Wealthy if you compare it to the people who live in Afghanistan, perhaps. And so some of us are going to be very poor if you compare it to some people that live in other parts of the country or the world. I get that. But when we live for the Lord, the Lord will take care of our basic needs of life and, yea, often will give us generously even more. And that's why this verse says wealth and riches are in his house. So it's in his house because it had to get into his house. And how did he get in his house? Is because they followed the Lord and what we've been teaching, the biblical principles. And then it says, and his righteousness endures forever. So doing for the Lord is not just so I get more stuff. You're doing for the Lord in a righteous way because you love him with all of your heart. And that means part of your life will be when it comes across a biblical principle. You know it, you apply it, you live it no matter the cost. And God continues to bless that kind of a life. Number four, avoid co-signing. And I put in parentheses there, partnerships. Avoid co-signing and partnerships. Now this in itself almost could be an entire message because there needs some qualification on it, but it won't be. I carefully chose the word avoid because I didn't want you to hear that it's a sin to do these things. It's telling you, though, that you are on a slippery slope if you do it. If someone comes to you and they need special help and they say, in order to help me, would you co-sign? And generally, most of the co-signing relationships are often done in families between a young person who says, Dad, I can't get this car, would you co-sign? All right, and so you end up co-signing. You might have a, an extended family member, a brother, an uncle, a grandson, a nephew, whatever, niece. Doesn't matter. There's that co-signing. When you get involved in churches and you develop wonderful, intimate, close relationships, sometimes you're closer to a church person than you are to a regular family member, and you get into deep weeds and you want someone to sign for you. It doesn't say don't do that. It does say in this context that if the person for whom you co-signed is now called for that money and he doesn't have it, that means you then have to cover him for that co-signing situation. So your mindset should be, I would rather give it to him or assume that I've given it to him even though he said he would give it back because if he can't give it back, I now treat it in my heart as a gift rather than a loan or a co-sign situation. So in my heart, I'm now divesting myself of what I'm doing here. So when you do it, it's as if it's gone. If you get it back, you celebrate. If you don't, that's okay too. Secondly, in the Old Testament, it talked about exorbitant interest and particularly in places, there was places where you wouldn't charge interest. You would loan it and not charge interest to the person so that they would have it. So the issue is not don't do it. It just means consider the cost when you do it because if it goes for them, it can go for you. And I put partnerships in there because often when you get into partnerships in a business sometimes that when one partner does something and and does something, you then have to kind of go with him in that. And I'm going to get real technical here. And if the Lord decides to discipline one partner for some other area in his life and it spills over into the business life, you'll be disciplined by the Lord by association with him who's getting disciplined. So the best thing to do is to avoid partnerships with others. And that's what this passage is saying. Now, this is such a rich issue of avoiding partnership that there are so many verses in the book of Proverbs that are warning us from that. Remember, it goes back to what we're teaching here. You can get all this money, but if you have holes in it because you're partnering or you're co-signing for so many people, you're susceptible now to the possibility 
of now losing what you're trying to put in your bucket because your friend has now shot a hole in the bottom of it and you've got to give it to him. All right, let's go back to the passage. It says, Do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become guarantors for debts, if you have nothing with which to pay. Why should he take away the bed from under you? Why should you have to then hawk your furniture to pay off that other guy's debt? And that's why it's saying, avoid that unless you can afford to do that. If you can, then go ahead and do that. Just remember that it's going to fall back on you. Number five, manage it properly. Manage it properly. So once you have it, there's a degree of what you're going to do with it. And this passage is kind of neat because it kind of prepares us for managing our life and what we have. So let's go back to it. Proverbs 27, and it says... Know well the condition of your flocks. In other words, know what you own. And pay attention to your herds. For riches are not forever. That means the situation what you have right now is not forever. So those of you that have some money, some resources, it's not forever. You don't know what could happen at any moment that might take it away from you. Uh, Nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the grass disappears, the new growth is seen, and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in. In other words, certain things will grow. Sometimes they take time to grow. Sometimes you have a little bit now, it'll grow, but then you could lose it and you have to start over again. The lambs will be your clothing. In other words, manage what you have because eventually you might either have to eat your lamb or wear the lamb's skin for your clothing. That was given to you to manage for your basic needs of life, it's saying. Then it says, and the goats, and bring the price of a field, and there will be goats milk enough for your food, for the food of your household, and sustenance for your maids. So in other words, what you have, you take care of, because it's those very things that might be the very basic needs of your life. Food, clothing, and shelter. That's all in that same context right there. And the idea is to take care of what you have. You might have to eat off of it. You might have to market it. You might have to use it, but God has given that to you. So don't waste it. And watch me say something else but also maintain what you have because take good care of it so that it'll always be there to take care of you. So I would suggest budget. I think it would be important for you to keep good records and, of course, prioritize your spending. Last point, number six, look for the very best buy. Look for the very, very best buy. Now, I think you know that. Everybody hearing my voice hears that, but to look for the best buy, here's what it requires. In your heart, it, ha- it, it, it requires the thought that I might be able to get this cheaper or more cheaply somewhere else. It requires a knowledge of where you can go to get things cheaper or how to do the cost comparison and to know how to do it right. You can spend a, a dollar on something to save a dime. You want to save it, but it's costing you a dollar to run all the way to the other side of the island because gas is two cents cheaper over there. You, you know what I'm trying to say. So you have to know how to do the best buy. You also have to know when to pull the trigger because some people can spend a year trying to get the best buy and by the time they're ready to pull the trigger, it's not on sale any longer or it doesn't work any longer. You know, so you have to, when you're getting the best buy, there's a, there's a, 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 a practical way to be able to view this in getting the best buy. Now I thought a great deal to be able to substantiate this point, I wanted to look in Scripture and I found the virtuous woman. You would think it would be some man, some big whiz guy that was a businessman in the Bible that would do it. It was none other than the virtuous woman. Now this virtuous woman was married and she had children. So she had some form of a household. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to look at this passage because I'm going to take you to just a couple of verses and I want to show you how smart this woman was. And it would be a great thing for you men as well to look at this passage to see what you can learn from this virtuous woman that really knew how to balance her household, her business, her family, her social life, the community, as well as honoring her husband as well. So we're going to look at just a couple of verses here and then um, we'll close with a practical application and go home. Proverbs 31, verse 14, it says, 
She, referring to this excellent woman, this excellent virtuous woman. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. So in other words, she will get the best deal from however far she needs to get it as long as it meets the needs of her family and she's done her homework. So she looks far for it. So she might go a little bit further down the road than go to the local convenience store to do her grocery shopping. Drop down, if you will, to verse 19. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. In other words, she takes that little bit of um, yarn, we might say, a little bit of cotton that might be out there, and she's actually making the strands that will eventually make the clothing. So she can, even, she can make her own clothing. So it's more than just taking a piece of cloth. She's making the piece of cloth from which she will actually make the clothing. So she goes down to the very basics. We would say that she made the meal from scratch. Verse 22. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. The coverings for herself is implying something that you would put on you when the weather gets cold, something that you might put on you when you have to go to a certain event that requires special covering. It was quality covering. It was expensive-looking covering, so she was able to make this. So her mind was taught how to do this, and then she managed it well, and she functioned in doing this. Now, verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness which means, again, that she was not an idle person, but that she worked very hard taking care of primarily the needs of her house. Other verses in the passage talks about she also took care of the others extended out of her house. Let me add one more thought. She also knew how to look at a field, consider that field, and be able to buy that field. And that word consider in the Hebrew doesn't just mean she looked at this field. It means she thought about it. It has the word purpose in the Hebrew there. So she looked at it and she was asking herself, what is the purpose I really need this field? What will I do with this field? How will I be able to work this field? What will be the results from this field? So she was a woman who not only was a, quote, stay-at-home mom, but she was also working outside the home and looking for the best buy and developing that field. And it also talks about how that she could plant it and it can grow. So it was also that she could look at what she was getting for the greater and longer range good that it would come. All that is saying is that our example for how to manage can come from the virtuous woman. So we can do all these things right, but we just had six principles to plug these holes in the bottom of the bucket. Now, what might we do to be able to do this? I'm going to be real radical for a moment. I don't know if you've ever been involved in a family matter that when certain things need to be done with surgery, they had to do some really radical stuff. And some of you might be financially challenged right now, so I want to give you some practical, radical stuff you can do. In your notes, you'll see where it says develop a balance between ambition and contentment. You need to be ambitious, but also be content with what you have, so work on that balance. The next is remember that it gives you an opportunity to trust in the Lord in your situation. So have you gone to the Lord to say, Lord, I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to hope in you now and what I should do. Are you willing to make the adjustments in your life whatever they might be, to change your financial spending habits and getting habits and guarding habits. Now, for a couple of you that are really stressed out right now because of financial bondage, we're going to talk real radical now. Carol and I were in that situation earlier on in our marriage. We, I made some wrong choices. I can't even remember Carol ever doing anything wrong financially. She always does. She, she's the virtuous woman, and this is for the, this is the honest truth. I'm sure there are times we, we misfired on some things. But when I chose to put myself under the Word, I then made some radical applications. What I'm going to give you is a couple of radical applications that we did 
And I want you to know, I don't want to preach the application as a biblical principle. I'm just giving you some radical applications. Please jot these down because you are going to become spiritual leaders if you're not that already. And you need to help your children. You need to help your young people and those that you're going to counsel and disciple. So here's some things you might do. The first question I had to ask myself was this. Stan, have you gotten into this situation because you are a lazy person? Have you made excuses of why you are out of money? Have you made excuses of why you don't work hard enough or why you don't have a well-paying job? Are you just making excuses about your life? Have you taken off too much time from work when it wasn't absolutely necessary to do so? Stan, have you been spending too much time resting? Do I took too long of naps or naps? Did I sleep too late? Did I tittle away my Saturdays? Did I leave early from work and go to work too late? Was I just a lazy person? And you know what helped me? Is when I chose to ask the significant others in my life who knew me so well that I could trust that they would take the gloves off and say, Stan, are you lazy? I wanted to go deep. Do I have a lazy propensity in my life? Then I said, I will do what it takes to get out of debt. I will pay whatever price it takes to get out of debt. And then for us, because we're in ministry, we will stay out of debt And when we went to college, we would not get a student loan. That was for us because I could not afford to ever pay back a student loan if I was going to be a missionary or take over a a church. I knew I would never get a big church. Who, Who does when you come out of Bible college? You get small ministries that can't hardly pay you. So what did I do? Carol and I then came together and we, you have to do it together. I mean, you've got to get on the same page. We said we will pay each bill the very day that it came in. Now, it took us about six months to get to the point that we could do that, but we made the commitment that we would pay that bill the day that it came in. Now, we do have credit cards. Those credit cards are paid in the grace period. The credit cards are used because it gives us the reward miles to travel and do the mission trips. You know what I'm talking about. But at the early beginning of this thing, we paid them right off. Carol taught me how to say no thank you to salespeople, especially when they're unsolicited. I still have a hard time going through the mall when all those kiosks are out there and they're, would you like some of this lotion? You know, I have a hard time. I have to go like that. Carol knows real well. She can just march right by them. Okay, number next. We made the commitment that we would would give 10% of whatever came in first, whether it was a salary a birthday present, a Christmas gift that was money involved. Someone slipped us money. We would give that away. We said, Lord, we have got to go to the point where that we would give to you first. There's principles on that you'll learn later. But we wanted to get to the point where we had to give to the Lord first that our bucket was still emptier than we would like it to be. But now we had to continually hold it up to the Lord. says, all right, Lord, we deposited that money in our heavenly account by giving it away. Now, Lord, when we need it, we want to withdraw from you so that you'll take care of us. And God took care of us. So you had to give away. That was a radical thing for us to do. And watch this. We always gave to the Lord before we paid our rent, before we paid our electric bill, before we paid everybody else. Even though, oh, don't you have a testimony? Yeah, we don't have a testimony. We're going to pay for them. But we had to start somewhere. And we knew that why would God always have to get what was left after everybody else got it first? All right. So we want to put God first. Now, Lord, we gave it to you. We really need it now. And I, I wish you could look me in the eye. God has never, ever let us down. Every bill we needed to pay. God did this. When we moved to the island, we lived in a small little place. We had a house we were paying on on the mainland, paying rent where we were staying. 
and we needed to get a house here so that people would know that we're committed to you all, we're committed to the island. We didn't have a lot. Finally, we found out that we could borrow enough money. We had enough capital in our investments. We had enough we could get this house. I went to the board here. The board says, Stan, we have, and I'm, this has all been public, we have $200,000 that we can lend you. You have to pay it back by a certain amount of time. I think it was like three to five years. Then we'll have to charge you minimal interest on this thing, but you have an interest-free loan for this amount of time. Can you do it? We got counselors in our life. Yes, we could do it. Our record was clean. We had a, a seven, nine, seven, nine, 790 something credit score. So we went through this whole deal. Then we just ate dirt. We didn't go places. We didn't do things. We buddied up. We, we, every penny we could save. And within two years, we paid off $200,000. Folks, I don't know where that money came. Nobody slipped this money. We didn't find money under a rock. We didn't have a money tree in the backyard. I don't know how we did it. God took care of us. And I want you to know, when you give God first and you cut back on your giving, God can take care of you. Larry Biquette, in a book that he wrote on money management, said that if you owe money on a house, if you follow biblical principles of self-sacrifice, no cable when you don't need cable, get the cheapest that you need to keep, shut the lights off, shower in the dark, all that kind of stuff, he said, he said that you could get that house paid for in seven years. Now, he didn't live in Hawaii. I realize that. Okay, so let's be real. But it can be done. I will never co-sign for anyone. People have asked to co-sign for me. Have I loaned money to people in the church? Yes, I have. Now, don't let everybody come to me now, all right? But when we have, it was like, it's yours. If you give it back, frankly, some of those people, I even forgot that we loaned the money to them. It was more like, yes, you can pay it back. That'll help so we can give it to somebody else. Why am I telling you that? We're not good people. We paid the price, and we want to show it that it can be done from someone that you know, not somebody in some book and illustration I picked up that you don't even know who they are. This works, folks. We will look for the best price. Watch this. Watch this now. Watch this. After we prayed for it. In other words, just because we have the money, we don't necessarily go out and buy it. Most of the time, we assume that God gave us this funding, get the best price, because he says it's okay to buy. But I never want to forget that God could provide it to us first before we have to spend it. Part of that is helping us maintain an intimacy with God and a holiness in our life so that we would have answers to our prayers. And then the last is I'll be faithful to giving to the Lord first a generous portion of my increase. So folks, what I'm teaching you here, going all the way back to God and all of these supercultural biblical principles of giving, they're all in there. And the practical part of it is loaded with day-to-day scripture. And then how you apply it depends on where you are on the same page with your mate. But remember, it's going to cost us something. But whatever it costs us, we will always get back more than what we've given. So the principle is, Do these things to get your money. We've given you nine of them there. And then when you're pouring it into your savings, make sure you're concentrating on those holes. And I'll tell you this, these holes are interesting because I can plug them one day, but it doesn't take much for me to unplug them the next day. Did you catch what I'm saying? I can do good this week, but i got to maintain it for the rest of my life. Well, folks, I'd like to bring this to a close, but for some of you right now that haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that God says, I love you. I know you might have mismanaged the funds and the resources I've given to you. He says, but I will grant you my mercy, my forgiveness. I'll give you a brand new do-over. But you've got to go through the person and the work of Christ. It's not a name it and claim it. It's not prosperity theology, prosperity gospel. It's just plain old-fashioned, just do what he says. 
And when we do, God blesses us. What do I do to go to heaven? I come to him saying, there's no good deed I do will get me to heaven. There's no amount of money I could ever give that'll give me eternal life from you. I'm gonna receive it as a free gift. And by faith alone in him, I can have everlasting life. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. I am so excited about these principles because they do work, but you have to give God the, the calendar. So if you've got a calendar, and if you're doing this to get, we're not going to get, but we're doing it because we've already received from him all of his blessings. I'm going to tell you that the Lord says it is a matter of reaping and sowing. And he loves you. He cares for you. So maybe today will be a time for some of you to make some mid-course corrections. Will you develop a balance between ambition and contentment? Will you see your financial opportunity right now, your situation, whatever it might be, as an opportunity for you to clean up your inner life, let it flow to your outer life, obey his word, and let God take care of you as you move to the future? Is there some adjustments that you need to make in your life? about how you're going to get your money, diligent labor, creative resourcefulness, prayer, and just thanking God when he so graciously, bountifully blesses you. What kind of commitments are you willing to make to get out of debt and to stay out of debt for the rest of your life so you can say, the Lord has always taken care of us? And I pray that you'll save some extra because you never know when something will go out. We were away on a trip and got a phone call from a sweet lady who was staying at her house and says, you know the guest room I'm in? Something's happening in your bathroom upstairs and water's dripping on my head here in my bed. I was glad we had enough money and a dear friend in the church called him, came over, fixed it, got it. But you can do that. Every one of us can do this because it's biblical. It's found in Scripture. God's commandments come always with God's enablements. Do it, my friend. Follow this word. Make that commitment. For those of you who haven't accepted Christ as your own Savior yet, you know He's out there. You know He is a Savior. You might even know He's the Savior. Will you now let Him be your Savior? He says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God so you could know you have eternal life. You could know that you have eternal life by placing your faith in Christ. I'd like to pray for you if today is the day you're calling upon the Lord and all you do is simply say, Lord, I know I've done things wrong. I missed the mark, but I'm accepting Christ as my Savior and I want to thank you for dying and rising again. So it's more of a thank you transaction, accepting it, appropriating it because you believe in Him. Is there anyone here today that's ready to do that? Maybe it's your time to say, Lord, I'm trusting in you to give to me eternal life. I'd like to pray for you. I'm not going to have you stand up fill out a card, walk the aisle, or anything like that. I just want to pray for you. So to do that, I am going to ask you to slip up your hand. Now, raising your hand doesn't mean you're getting eternal life. It doesn't mean you're joining the church. It just means that you're silently telling to me by that uplifted hand that today was a day you trusted Christ to forgive you of all your sin. You became a part of his forever family. That's you doing it silently. And then I'm going to pray for you. Now, my praying for you won't get you into heaven. But I'm going to going to kind of welcome you into God's family. Just thanking the Lord for you that today was your second birthday, so to speak. Born into this world first time, born into God's family the second time, and that happened today. Would there be anyone today that's trusting Christ as your Savior, never done it before, 
and you'd like for me to pray for you, would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone that's doing that now? Never done it before. Christians, how many of you are going to take what you've learned from the Word today and you want to apply it to your life, but you'd like to have someone pray for you because you know that these are some decisions that you have to make and you're not going to get out of this quickly. This is, a, this is a deeper hole than you'd like to be in and you know to get out of it isn't one step. It's going to take a steps and time. But by God's grace and His strength, you're going to do it. But you'd like to have prayer because this is the direction in which you want to go. And you'd like for me to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand if you'd like to have some prayer? Because now you've got some biblical principles to hang on that you'd like to work through. Is there anyone? Slip up your hand. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And thank you for what we're learning today about the proper way to guard our money. And then, Father, it's only so that we would have what we have so we could take care of the basic needs of this life for our family and others to bring glory to you in building your kingdom. So, Lord, we ask you to help us to do this and that we would start today, we'd learn these principles and then live by them, especially when Satan wants to tempt us not to. Our Father, bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.